0: Can I say won't we'll give it up? Candace Devine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for making the trip extra f- all the way from Prescott. I'm, I thank you here. for giving
1: me the reason. It's always a good idea to go on a little mini journey road trip by yourself. It's wonderful.
0: Um, so we recently finally met. Uh, we shared a bill up at the Orpheum in Flagstaff.
1: <laughs> we did.
0: <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. Um And uh, But I heard about you originally through the music festival, the Pure Imagination Music Festival. I think someone recommended I reach out to you uh, to connect. And so, anyway, it's been a long time coming, but it's nice to finally meet you and to have already uh, shared the stage with you. Uh, Singer, songwriter, band leader.
1: Of sorts, sure.
0: Festival, organizer, owner.
1: Creator, yeah.
0: Creator, promoter. You know all the things that you have to do. Yeah, that that's a part of that. You're a mom. You live in Prescott, and uh, you got a lot on your plate as well. I think. like
1: you. Yeah, like you. I I travel a lot. <laughs> yeah, wear a lot of hats. Yeah, but you know my philosophy in a very um, diluted, easy, palatable way is to go. For all we know, this is the skin we have this time around. So make the fuck. Oh,
0: make, it's all right. Okay, fuck make the fucking shit. most
1: of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just, I don't know. I don't want to die bored.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, well, I definitely want to get into Ponderosa Grove. I want to get into the festival, but we I just re, I just found out that that you grew up in in Burbank, California. You come from a long line of folks that that were there. Yep. And um, you moved to the Valley recently. But, well, what's recently? Many years ago. Yeah. A <laughs> number of years ago. Um, But I always like to start the podcast with some early musical memories. Like what got you inspired as a kid? What record really spoke to you and, and encouraged you to find your voice and start writing music?
1: Um, well, I think that's a two-part answer for me. So in as a child, you know, I think kids always have vivid mem I mean, I if their parents love music and it's in the house and things like that. I had a unique set of parents because my parents are nine and a half years apart. So they come from two kind of hmm. pseudo generations, mm-hmm. even though they cross paths beautifully and they've been married for a bajillion years. Mm-hmm. Um, but Not my dad sold sold. So old. That's why I'm so wise, Brian. <laughs> I see. It's, you know, it just comes inherently when you are yeah,
2: the, product the product of, of two uh, gods right. that live
1: forever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but no. So my dad, you know, was born and raised in a still mill town in Pennsylvania. And he was raised very much in the American songbook, big band, Count Basie Orchestra, you know right. um, Judy Garland, Frank Sinatra, all American standards. Basically, he moved west and promptly landed in Los Angeles in the middle in the height of the hippie era. But he was cut off from his family for various reasons and this and that and my grandfather was like if you move I'm not supporting you I'm not helping you kind of a thing hmm. so he went and made his way on his own and he was working a hundred jobs you know mm-hmm. he was parking cars working at a grocery store doing all these things totally missed the Sunset Laurel Canyon mm. missed it hmm. he was there
3: mm-hmm. but he, he was working. <laughs> working
1: on Sunset Strip he no was kidding. in it wow. parking the cars wow. of these folks but not in it right. like not seeing it just trying to make ends meet yeah you know probably 18 years old
0: wow um My what made him him leave? I mean, just change the scenery, like get me out of this. Yeah, I think he Yeah,
1: it was a lot of you know family dynamic stuff. Him and his father weren't super close by any means. And I think he thought, if I'm gonna go make my way, I'm gonna do it somewhere a hell of a lot warmer than here. Yeah. And Mm, so practical. And I think he had a distant cousin or somebody that he knew. There was a landing person in California, and California was just like the dream. Right. Coincidentally, my dad had a very interesting trajectory. He worked as butt off and he would eat at Dupar's you know three days a week at five in the morning and get pancakes coincidentally next to somebody else who also ate three days a week (laughs) Bob Kinnellan who ultimately made my dad a casting director and so that changed his whole so he ended up legitimately working in Hollywood and having this like Hollywood story my mom nine and a half years younger fourth generation Burbank native My great grand. How long When did you want this to be Let's go Let's go My great grandfather (laughs) It starts on her side My great grandfather Native American Cherokee Indian He was actually Legitimately half His mother was Full-blooded Cherokee Grew up Was not allowed To go to the white school In Oklahoma He went to the Cherokee school In Oklahoma With Will Rogers Will Will Rogers Was his best friend Will Rogers Obviously moved west Became an old Hollywood star Yeah Icon called my grandfather and said, we need a good horseman in Hollywood. They're making all these Westerns and they know nothing about horses. He uprooted himself and my great grandmother, Candace got on a train through Arizona Landed in L.A., in downtown L.A., brought six horses and kids and everything and, like, lived in a dugout and built a piece of land and did the whole thing. Started mm. providing all the horses for Westerns.
0: Mm. Like and, training them and training, t- well, showing so, them how to ride. Yeah, and all yeah. the things. Yeah. and
1: And providing, you know, in the big stampede seeds, the hundreds of horses you need and mm. all the stuff. He was quite literally named, I think, the best horseman of the West, of the mm. Western United States in the late 1890s. All that to be said, he and my great-grandmother started one of the first small handful, first stables, and it's on right next to Griffith Park, and, mm. it's, and Walt Disney boarded there, and John Wayne boarded there, and mm. then Andy Devine, who ended up becoming my uncle, he married into the family, which Andy Devine is from Kingman, Arizona. If you're ever up on the 40,
3: mm-hmm. you'll
1: see the Andy Devine exit hmm. up there. So he's got long-standing roots in Arizona, which is just ironic. And then he met my great-aunt and everybody, the whole family, and it was kind of the uh celebrity horse experience it was all hollywood old hollywood and westerns mm. was my whole family mm. my grandmother was the stand-in for shirley temple my great-aunt was the 30-year stand-in for Marino o'hara Whoa. and so we we just i would have dinners as a little kid with Maureen o'hara at the table
0: that's crazy at like
1: 75 years old you know with my wow. great-aunt and just hanging out huh so I, my mom grew up lineage of that family, and then when my dad ended up going into casting at the same time, my mom was going to UCLA, but she was making extra money being an extra for movies and films and things like that. Mm-hmm. They met on set of a place of a movie called Rollercoaster, and they were a couple. They were put on the roller coaster and they had to ride a roller coaster 400 times a day. That's how my your mom would, and your
0: dad. Yeah. This is Met how dead on a roller coaster. That's incredible.
1: And then I was born. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in Burbank.
0: <laughs> on the roller coaster.
1: <laughs> I was born on a roller coaster. Conceived. I'm telling you, they've lived for hundreds of years. They, you know, they figured out they can do this anywhere. Um, and so I grew up in Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles, but specifically Burbank. And lived there my whole life pretty much at some point in high school, moved down to Orange County for a short bit for high school, then went to San Francisco for college, then booked singing backup with Christina Aguilera. And so transferred to Northridge and did that thing and finished school there, was touring with Christina Aguilera.
0: In what capacity?
1: I was her backup singer. That was my first gig.
0: Whoa. And then well, hold on, you're skipping over a yeah. whole bunch of shit. Here. <laughs>
1: Sorry, <laughs> I'm like, I'll just jumble it you all together. You can't like roll. skip
0: over that bit just yet. Um, well, but, but before we get to, before we get to that,
1: did I even answer your question? I don't think so. Okay, perfect. So we're on a roll already. I'm already batting zero <laughs> out of zero.
0: Well, what was, I mean, what, what kind of took you out of the family business? And
1: Oh, you asked about Music. music. Yeah, that's a relevant topic. (laughs) It's the subtext. So my dad, how I got there was that my dad always listened to, so I was quite literally brought up on Judy Garland. Mm -hmm. And so my earliest memories as far as singing, I have videos of my dad holding up a cam, you know, one of those big old video cameras and being four and five years old, walking down the street, belting at the top of my lungs. And I, from what I recall of my own life and the tellings of my parents is that from the womb on the minute i was walking talking and singing i was adamant i want to be a singer and they oh. were like that's cute never right. gonna happen like <laughs> right, right. Not, not supporting that
0: that's um, weird though because they're in an industry that is equally as fickle and demanding and that's why you know oh okay. that's why so they're like go be a my go dad be an actually accountant. had
1: a hand in the casting of like et and other things and i was a spitting image of drew barrymore a yeah. young Drew Barrymore and, yeah. and everybody's like, why don't you put your own kid in this stuff? And he's like, have you seen Drew Barrymore? Yeah, Like she's not have at that time. It? Yeah. Right. You know, now she's a lovely established adult, but mm-hmm. at that time it like when she was a teenager, she was a hot mess. Yeah. And so that was the thing every time. And I was surrounded by people that were in the entertainment business. And so it seemed very natural. My parents really were protective of mm-hmm. me having a very normal childhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and being a normal kid and not, And my dad from a small steel mill town, like although he's working in this industry, living in Los Angeles, it's not his necessarily his moral compass of family, you know, right
0: right so judy garland was a big influence you're singing at an early age did you do like school band and choir and did all the choirs sing in church and all the choirs
1: um i at that time in los angeles i went to private school for that section of my education and i was in every musical counter part that would show itself Mm -hmm. and took every opportunity to perform i possibly could Um, And then when I got to high school in Orange County and I was at a public high school, same thing. I I was one of the, I was that kid that got really lucky. I was the understudy my freshman year of the big musical Mm. and the senior got sick Mm. and which never actually happens. And so I got to do the whole run of the musical my freshman year. And then it kind of launched into even more focused of I'm doing this. And my parents were like, (laughs) I You know, we tried.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So, and then doing um mainly musical theater, but but like no rock bands with your friends or I garage bands? I was
1: writing songs in yeah. high school. I found a guitar in the rafters of our garage. Hmm. Somebody had left from the house when they moved. Hmm. And so I found a guitar. It was an old little dumpy fender. It was just old and beaten up, but I loved it. And so I started writing my first songs on that guitar. Um And I had my... Not I not yet had it, but I, I had played piano on my great-grandmother's piano as a kid and took lessons. Mm. So I had musical mm-hmm. basic training, Yeah, but I never had the effort of doing it myself. Like, I wasn't that kid in high... I wasn't a no-doubt, you know, like, teenage that were like, we're all friends and we're going to have a band, you know? Right. I wasn't that. Yeah. I was in that era of watching that happen, going, that's really cool. I have parents that won't support that.
0: And then this is the moment when you go to San Francisco to study... Music?
1: music music theater voice yeah. all of it
0: and what what school in san fran
1: San Francisco State okay yeah joe average i that was you know it was one of those random time periods where my parents had done really well and then my dad quit casting i think in his midlife crisis he was like i don't want to do this anymore yeah. and the industry's changed and the people have changed and and right about that time nobody would hire somebody who was a casting director for 20 years you know and huh. so we went from being like we're fine to We're not fine. And so my parents, you know, scholarships, state schools, all that kind of stuff. My dreams were set on NYU. Oh, yeah. Um, Tisch School of Music and, you know, the whole performing arts program and everything else. And they were like, that's really great. Yeah. That's not possible. Right. And how was
0: the program at SFU?
1: At the time, I mean, I don't know what it is now. At the time, it was considered one of the best performing arts programs for the state schools. Hmm. It was, you know, but San Francisco is such a great creative city and there's so much art and so much talent there. It's really quite a commuter school because the whole city's your campus, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I think it just fed off of all of that. And, and those years were fundamentally so important for me because they were so shaping. It was a, the door, the vault door opened.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: My parents were like, go to college, go figure out who you are. We'll support you when you get done. You mm-hmm, know, like mm-hmm. if this is really your life path, we're on board, we don't want to stop you, but you need to go figure out who you are and how you're going to do it. Yeah. Um, and San Francisco did that for me. It definitely opened the creative floodgates.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming still writing and and creating and yeah, you know. So what happens then? Uh, you graduate, and and how do you get connected to Christina Aguilera?
1: So I had started getting some because of my family's. I won't say they they didn't really have like dramatic connections for me per se, but they had lanes in which they could be helpful. So Mm -hmm. I was able to get an agent and I started doing some day player stuff on some TV shows. Um, And I started getting some voiceover work and it just seemed kind of apparent. I'd gone on a trip to New York city with my grandmother, my first time to Broadway. Mm. And I had this, Epiphany where I was brokenhearted and liberated at the exact same time because I knew just like a bolt bolt of lightning into my body I knew I was like I know I want to make music and performance my actual life and career and I know that if I stay in San Francisco I will just be in love with this city and never give it everything I've got mm. because I loved living there so much. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I could just wait tables forever and probably think it's fine and, and have a great life, but I will have unintentionally given up on the goal. Huh. And I'm a very goal oriented person. Yeah, And so I started getting work in LA and then it just seemed very obvious. I went to New York for on this trip. I saw Broadway shows. I saw my favorite Broadway show, um, cabaret. I can't remember who the cast was at the moment, but, um, I was with my grandma and I was like, I got to move back to LA. Huh. And she was like, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. And I called my mom and I was in San Francisco and I was like, mom, we need to talk. I need to come home. And she's like, oh my God, are you pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, mom. no, I, I'm not, I'm not pregnant. I just, I just know that I, there's opportunities opening at home and I don't want to miss them. And so I'm coming back and my mom just, I don't think my parents knew what to do. Cause once I left the house, I was like, that's it. Yeah. I love you. I'm off to live my journey, right? And I'm going to come home highly successful.
0: And no, <laughs> and and after being in New York, th- no desire to stay there and really pursue Broadway I don't think, you know, I, musical I theater. I think
1: I knew that I was, gear, you know, being born and raised in Los Angeles. I think it was just a culture I understood, hmm. and I kind of understood the way entertainment business worked there. I just had a, it didn't, it wasn't daunting to me. I think I Mm. felt like if I go to New York, it's an incredible, and I already had opportunities happening in LA. And I think Mm. I felt like in New York, I'd really start over and then I would automatically fall into the musical theater category entirely. Mm -hmm. I see. Because it's so focused on theater, Mm -hmm. which I love. But I also wanted that other element. I wanted, you know, either a a pop modern. I didn't just want to be doing Mm -hmm. theater. I got you. So it just... And also the expense of it. I mean, you know, San Francisco was incredibly expensive. At the time, New York was even more expensive. And so... And I knew I had a landing. I could live with my folks till I got on my feet and got a job. And then I'd get my... Like, there was just enough there that allowed me to get going. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. I made that move. And then um, I went to Cal State Northridge, which is where two of my best friends in in life uh, were just coincidentally... I didn't even know this about them when I met them, but they were... Dancers and choreographers for Christina and Britney and JLo and every pop star, Janet Jackson and even Whitney Houston at the time. And, um, my best friend, Paul was just trying to finish his degree. And so he had transferred in and I had transferred in and we just hit it off immediately. And that's where the fun story of me working at a total nine to five job at an advertising agency. And I got a call saying there's a closed private audition for Christina. You should go. Hmm. And so I told my boss that I needed to take a long lunch to go to a dentist appointment. And with the, accept, with the, with the complete, like, I'll go, I'll put my best foot forward. There's not a snowflake's chance in hell, hmm. I'm getting picked hmm. to sing for Christina Aguilera.
0: I mean, and these are huge stars at the time, right? I mean,
1: in their biggest, yeah. It, it, this was at, like at she, the height of the. Yeah. She had just done her stripped. Wow. You know, Jason. she had done stripped with Justin Timberlake and done that. And this was getting be the tour setting her up for back to basics. Wow. So it was right. And she was, you know, at the top of her game at that time. Yeah. Um, and so I took a long dentist lunch yeah. and I walked in and I, I say this with entire humility. I was the only white person there which only made me more so go, there is not a snowflake's right. chance that these women are the most incredible church singers, gospel yeah. singers, soul singers. They they were just phenomenal. Um, Did and, you
0: know a bunch of her material? Like, were you prepared going in? You're like, all right, I've been practicing these tunes. Well, or- so
1: that was the thing. They didn't want her tunes. So you had to oh. come in with your own selection of what you wanted to showcase huh. yourself with. Interesting. Which I actually... You know, being a career musician now, I actually think in some weird way, that's a better approach. Show me who you are. Show me what you mm. resonate with. Mm-hmm. Show me your best flex mm-hmm. and what you think your strongest assets are. Then on the, on the back half of it, now sing my tunes, which is basically what happened. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it's, you know, I think she, Christi- I give Christina a lot of credit with all of her band and with all of her singers and her dancers and everything, she really wants artists. She wants people that inspire her to want to sing. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And that's really cool. Um, And so I went into the audition and they ran it with like three people at a time and then they'd turn and then they'd come out and they'd say, if we call your name, you leave
3: Uh basically. Wow.
1: And so we went through the first turn and it's been my hour lunch break (laughs) and they didn't call my name. And I was like, oh.
0: I'm gonna have to go back to work with like so some I, teeth removed. I called
1: my boss and I was like, turns out I think I need a um, root canal.
0: <laughs> you double down on I it. I just doubled down I and love I was like, it.
1: So this may take at least another hour or two. And my boss very graciously and I was I, I am the kind of person that I I believe in being the best employee you can be no matter what the job is. Mm-hmm. Because you're representing yourself. You can Mm -hmm. hate the company, you can hate what you stand for, all the the things, but at the end of the day, people are responding to how you behave. So in that job, even though I was like, job, I was really good at it and Mm -hmm. I worked really hard. And so my boss had no reason not to trust me at that point. Mm -hmm. I'd never really lied to her ever. And I'd never really created any reason for her to doubt me. And so she's like, you know what, Candace, if you need a root canal, just take the rest of the day because they're going to numb your mouth. You're going to be drooling. Like, (laughs) don't come back. We'll see you tomorrow. Love it. And I was like, okay, by tomorrow, maybe I can be magically fixed and it's fine. <laughs> um, but that cleared the plate for me. So I went back in on the second round and I sang my little heart out. And I actually sang a song that I had written, uh, acapella. And then I had to sing harmony with two other singers. And then they rotated some of the singers and Christina was in the room. And she was in the room with her manager and her little brother. And they were sitting way in the back of the room in the dark and you could barely see them. And then they had their, I think the tour manager and the musical director closer and, then they dismissed us and I'm sitting out and I was like, well, that was it. And I was just, I was giving myself the, like, I'm proud of you, Candace, you showed up Mm -hmm. and you did your best and Mm -hmm. it's never going to work for you whatsoever, but at least you came in and you did the thing like a professional. Mm -hmm. And then my name didn't get called. Hmm. And so then it was down to like, I don't know, eight of us or something. Hmm. And I'm sitting there going, oh. (laughs)
0: Do you remember the total number of people? Was it like hundreds?
1: No, it wasn't because it was was closed. closed. It was a closed audition. So it was like word of mouth only. Like it was people, you had to get like a personal recommendation. Right. And which is even funny to think about that. My friends did recommend me at the time because they were working with her in the dance. I think they, you know, they knew. And again, what is race, right? What is race? People are vibes and energy, but they knew they were setting me up. To be the only white person there. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, what in, from my mind, I was like, she's going to look at me and be like this little square white girl that just no thanks. Right. And that's right. would have been totally okay with me. <laughs> um, and <laughs> at the end I found out later, she was like, you know, I just really like whitey. Whitey has a vibe. And I was just <laughs> like, oh my god, <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. But what she liked was that I had power. Yeah. That could match her. So we were doing... The tour was going to be an entirely live run, 12-piece band. It was incredible, actually. Super cool. And she knew her voice would get tired at certain points. And singing Fighter and some other songs, she was belting at the top of her range. And she's just like, I need somebody who can match the belt so that if I'm really tired, I can lay out and the notes are still being met Mm -hmm. in those moments, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And... I was that. And so we rehearsed for months and we put up the show and we did the thing. And then the tour ultimately got canceled at the midway. It was a whole thing that had nothing to do with me. And, um, well, the funniest part is I went back into my boss the next day and I was like, I have good news and bad news. <laughs> and she was like, Oh, is your tooth? Okay. Like she was so concerned. And I was like, well, the good news, and I think she said, I want, I think she said, I want the bad news first. And I was like, well, i have to quit and she's like why oh my god your teeth yeah she's just like what (laughs) happened are you like are you okay you know and i was like the double bad news is i lied to you and she was like okay yeah i was like i have to quit she's like okay well i mean we can let's talk about this and she's like why do you have to quit and i was like well the good news is i just booked a job singing a national tour with christina aguilera Hmm. and she was like a fan and she was like oh my yeah and i was like and now back to the bad news today is friday and i start on monday so i gotta Bye. go <laughs> Bye. i gotta go and she's like okay you're gonna spend all today calling the headhunters and getting yourself a replacement mm-hmm. and we worked it all out wow. but um and she and they graciously bought all the tickets and brought the whole company and it was great and she was cool. like keep your clothes on <laughs> i was like i will i will but that was my what first an, gig
0: and what an incredible i mean first gig out you're on tour buses you're playing big rooms i mean you went from zero to let go oh like literally yeah overnight, yeah, or over the weekend,
1: yeah, over the weekend, you know yeah. it was it was a weird, and I think that's the funny thing is that you realize so often, and this has happened not this specifically, but it's happened to me so many times in my life where connections not meaning quote unquote like oh, there's so many connections you have and whatever, but I mean connecting with people mm-hmm. and Honoring those relationships, honestly, you know, and saying, I really like this person and we work well together or, you know, like I said to you, I, I, I was shocked that looking back that my best friends even put that kind of risk on me. It couldn't have mm. made them look bad. I mean, they never, what I found out afterwards, they never told her I was, they recommended me because mm. they worked with her already and they weren't going to jeopardize that either. Mm but they held a core belief they were like Candace can do this you right. know this would be a great spot for her she would and and i learned from that point forward that when you create sincere relationships meaning you're not having them it's wonderful when relationships are mutually benefit each other Mm -hmm. and that's important, Mm -hmm. but it's also important to realize like, I genuinely like this person or I genuinely like their music or I genuinely admire the way in which they carry themselves or work through their own compass of, you know, trials and errors. Mm -hmm. Um, When, when you value those relationships and, and maintain positive juju around them, you Mm -hmm. know, I think, and and when you equally support others, when you go, I think there's something beneficial and wonderful here. And if I have an opportunity to share, I'm happy to share it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that has served me very well. And it's kind of been the through line to many of the good things I've been. I've been able to do a lot of crazy good shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I sang on Ringo Starr's last record. That was Holy moly. But it was because... I got a random call from a friend of a friend in LA who was in a bind who needed a singer kind of like me, and I dropped everything. I said, "Listen, I can get to a studio and cut that for you in an hour." Turns out it went up the chain to some really fancy-ass people who I didn't even realize. I got a call from them, and they were like, "Holy shit, you killed the vocals and this!" And I, when I do session work, I always overdeliver. I'd rather always give you more than you need. Mm-hmm. And just in case, even if I just have ideas that you don't, I put them on a separate track to go, just in case these resonate with you, here's more shit. Right. And by putting out that goodwill and not being like, you're not paying me for that, or this time is longer than you said, you know, all Mm -hmm.
3: the,
1: I got a call from a really fancy, schmancy, important songwriter, producer, who's now become a friend of mine. But he was like, uh, I got, he put me on a couple other gigs for session work for television. And then he called me and he's like, Candace. I got fucking Ringo Starr. <laughs> and I was like, what, what What? do you mean you got Ringo Starr? Yeah, which which, which Ringo Starr? Yeah, yeah, and what do you because, mean you got him? Like, yeah, what does right, that mean? Right? And he's like, I want you to sing on a Ringo Starr track on his new record. And I was like, yeah. He's like, don't you want to know what it pays? I was like, I don't fucking care. Who cares? And he's wow. like, that's my girl, you know? <laughs> and I'm a union singer, so I knew it was going to be fine and all the things. But the point is that the energy... My friends did it for me. Mm-hmm. I try to be that person for other people if I have the room to be that person mm-hmm. and I think that um that makes for a really beautiful communal experience with artists that you admire and appreciate
0: yeah. yeah what happens after christina that that tour doesn't go as planned like what what's your next move? I mean now you now you actually you know you have this experience and you have these contacts and and do you have a better sense of your direction i mean so this is
1: the thing i think is interesting about all people is that at some point in your life you hit a crossroad where you decide i what do i want you Mm -hmm. know and and singing with christina was a massive opportunity i most likely i would like to believe i could have done it again and again um i when the tour and everything folded i made a very conscious choice to be like let me go find out what i'm made of um i didn't want to be a backup singer and there's nothing wrong with that i've i sing backup for plenty of people i have done session work for plenty of people i just wanted to be in my own skin and write my own songs
0: and and whatever
1: that end be right
0: right right. and and was any part of that i mean realizing that you are disposable if you aren't the lead you know if you're not christina Right. Your tour can get canceled or right. whatever. And now you're out of bread and and where, right. what am I doing now? But, you know, owning, owning something that you create, you know, the, the buck stops with you, but you also get to steer the ship and, 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 and that ownership and, and being the leader provides you with some stability on some level. Yeah.
1: Well, it's your own choices, you know, you're not subject to somebody else's, um, needs. Right. And, and the reality is I have a number of friends, people who still sing for Christina and many other artists that have had this incredible career, incredible career. They have, you know, stories to tell that I will never even breathe of dreaming, you Mm -hmm. know, like I, they just experiences rooms, countries, you know, whatever it be. Um, and and I love that for them. And I, you know, there are so many times when I there. I think, man, I could have been a part of that journey. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, they look at me often, and they and they have this same like, wow, mm-hmm. you're doing you. You know, like right. you really pursued the dream for what it is, mm-hmm. which is to fill your own spirit. With the thing you love most, Mm -hmm. you know, and on the terms to your point of, of your, your, the, the buck stops with you. Mm -hmm. And I was probably, you know, just too naive and dumb to even think of it in those terms. I just knew I wanted to say the things inside of me. Mm -hmm. It was really that simple. Mm -hmm. And I've always taken the approach of, especially, you know, post-college, I'm willing to do any job if it feeds what I want to do with music. I have many friends You know, and people we know that are like, I will do all the music to just do music. And I respect that immensely. I just was, have always been more focused on, I would rather say the things I want to say when it's time to say it. And if it means that I have to hold down that nine to five, or if I have to wait the tables, or if I have to do the Mm -hmm. side gig, but it allows me to do the music I want to do when I want to do it. That was a worthwhile trade off for me.
0: Right right yeah. so what ha- so what happens do you start your own band so do you- i put
1: out a solo record yeah. um and i got shopped to all the labels and did the whole thing and had a lot of great response this was right maybe a year before amy winehouse broke and at that time everybody's like blue-eyed soul because as you mm-hmm. know my i have a husky raspy soulful kind of mm-hmm. voice mm-hmm. and at that time they were like blue-eyed soul will never sell
0: that's so funny.
1: And so I got turned down by every label, everything right. that was just like, we cannot take your voice, but have your face on it. Huh? Huh? Basically. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And then Mark Ronson dropped Amy White out. Yeah. And then all of the soul singers were coming out of the UK. Huh. At, the, at that exact, I mean, followed by Adele, followed by Duffy, followed by James Morrison, followed by right. you, every soul singer of any version of soul singing right. came from the UK. Right, um, and then there was actually somebody at some point that was like, "Where's that Candice girl? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, it's an interesting thing. The music business is always strange. I feel for women because there's this, and we're in a really wonderful time right now. Where it really, honestly, truly feels like age doesn't totally matter, mm-hmm. but I will tell you, at twenty-two, I was already too old. Hmm. Like, and I was told that repeatedly.
0: That's just bananas. And to me.
1: I'm like, how? 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 Like, yeah. I just started my life, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And I already have a credit to my right. name, you know, right. in my perspective. Wow. Um, and so you know, it was just one of those things that I fought that battle a little bit. I, um, I was up for every, every single singing show Mm. you can imagine. I was up for American Idol after Kelly Clarkson won. I was told by two producers, we can't have another white girl win. And so (laughs) I was like, Wow. Yeah, okay. Right. Um I've been up for the voice it got to the point where the casting directors had my personal number and they're like maybe this season Candace and I was like uh, you know what never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Um I have been up for America's Got T- I have been up for all of them doing the indie music thing yeah. and and with no regrets I tried I write you know in that chapter of time I gave it my all on every possible and I could find.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. And um Shortly after that, uh, a gentleman I knew in LA, the LA music critic, his name's Bob Leggett. He was like, you know, you might it might serve you well to get into the music community, the indie like the music scene, and do some co-writing, so you can get to know other musicians within the the network of musicians mm-hmm. better
0: mm-hmm. in LA. In LA, so, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: At that time. And so the hotel cafe was, you know, I think it I by the time I joined into the hotel scene, they had just expanded to like the size room that they are now. But they had started as this little teeny yeah. tiny narrow and I think I
0: played that. I mean I definitely it was played that ho- yeah, yeah, but the super small super small. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it had just like that was the whole thing. And I kinda came into the scene right as that expanded. Mm-hmm. But at the time to- you know, you had you still had John Mayer sitting in. You'd have people from the Hollywood Bowl come by and just do acoustic sets. You had Katy Perry just popping by. You mm-hmm. had all these people. And it was a great network. There was a really lovely, I want to say maybe 100 musicians in that general mixing where we all got a very familiar sense of each other. Mm-hmm. And people were in all different kinds of projects. As any scene, right? Any right. city, you you get to know your community. And so I met a gentleman named Dave Yadin, who is a brilliant songwriter, Um and we created a duo, and uh, toured for years. And opened. We were on a big agency and opened for national acts all over the place. Cool. You know. Um, and so we had that experience. We opened for Boys to Men. We opened for Sticks. We opened for uh, you. I don't know. The list goes. Adam Lambert. We opened for.
0: Uh, and what style of music as a duo?
1: As a duo, so we were. If the the best way to describe us, which was what was written about us, is if Elton John and Adele had a band.
0: And that was the instrumentation? It was, he keys was piano, and, yeah. keys and
1: vocals. And then we would wow. build the band out around us, depending on the sure. city and where we were, or what we needed. Yeah. Sometimes we would just be keys, bass, drums. Sometimes we'd be keys, bass, drums, guitar. Gotcha. Sometimes we'd be keys, bass, drums, guitar, horn section. Wow. We had every possible dynamic. In
0: original that. stuff. All original. Yeah
1: and we were doing really well we got some placements we started writing with other artists we wrote with mindy a bear who are the songs we wrote with her ended up being on her album wild heart which was grammy nominated
3: super so cool. we got
1: that kind of a win and then both of our lives just started evolving and it was one of those natural like he and his wife were having a child my husband and i were discussing it you know and mm. And I think we were both a little burnt out on each other and, and burnt out on, we, we were that perpetual band that was like always so close mm-hmm. to the crossover.
0: What was the name of that band? David and Divine. David and Divine. Yep. And how long did that project last?
1: Top to bottom, I want to say like six and a half years.
0: Mm-hmm. So a good run, a and, good run. and out, uh, touring all over the place. And we
1: went all over the country. We went, went over to Europe. We were, cool. we, we did all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, as independent artists with every, yeah. And, and those memories are pristine and I love them. And
0: how, I mean, that's such a dream win, like as an indie artist to be sharing those stages with those people and to, and to get that experience on the road and playing your own music. I mean, that's like what else is there? I mean, like if that was it, yeah, holy shit, you did it. We sold
1: out a two month residency at hotel cafe on like Wednesday nights. We we just packed and line out the door. Like we had a thing. It was a thing. It was brewing. It was going. Um, life is just funny. You know, you just, you, you hit a Oh, I did that. I did that. (laughs)
2: Oh my God. That
0: is the cutest sound I think I've ever heard.
1: I am that not professional. (laughs) That's like oh, you didn't me. think to mute your phone, <laughs> Candace.
3: Um
1: So anyway, um, yeah, that was that was a good long run. Our lives just organically shifted, mm-hmm. and and life is funny, and the and the world has seasons, and there are just times when you go, this is all cylinders go, and times when you go, not all cylinders go, and you know things line up kind of the way I think they're supposed to unintentionally. My grandmother had passed away. I was living in her house. My parents, very fluke-oriented, moved to Arizona. Mm. And um, we, I started visiting. And I'd go out like once a month, and I'm an only child, and go check on my folks in the middle of Arizona and mm-hmm. visit and make sure they were doing okay. And just very slowly fell in love with the area up north. Mm-hmm. Um, and then DJ and I got married on my parents' place, up in Chino Valley, which cool. they recently just sold, but we got married there. He got into a horrific accident and crushed his arm and they thought they were going to have to amputate it and this whole thing. Oh, and he was bartending at the time and he couldn't, and he was doing real estate in Los Angeles, but struggling. And he, we knew we were thinking if we wanted to have a baby, we'd do it in Arizona. And so he got his real estate license in Arizona and then never came home. Mm-hmm. He literally was like, I think I have more opportunity, opportunity. Yeah. to
0: start a business here. So, DJ is not a musician.
1: No, no, he's tone deaf. Oh, no shit. <laughs> Which is so funny because when we had our son, I was like, this is a 50 right. 50, right? Like, this yeah. is. So, when he was about, you know, one and a half or two and he was singing on pitch with the radio, I was like, there, is, God. A God. Yeah. there is a God. There is a God.
0: <laughs> and now he's a,
1: he plays He's a multi-instrumentalist He's got drum lessons Piano lessons Guitar lessons Good he's, for him He's a beast
0: That's awesome Yeah uh, So so you ultimately move to Prescott And what? Start the family there mm-hmm. And kind of change gears a little bit
1: I played my last show in Maine At seven and a half Seven and a half months pregnant Wow And the doctor was like You could technically have this baby on the plane And I was like This gig will pay for this baby Right So right. I'm going <laughs> Um, and ironically, We're in Maine. <laughs> it was this bougie winery. Uh-huh. It was a big, big fancy winery and they bring in all kinds of acts of all different sizes and our agency booked us except when they booked us and said all the promo pictures i obviously was fit
0: and spelt
1: and when i arrived i was very pregnant very pregnant and so they had cases of wine for us and they were like oh
0: Oh. (laughs) sorry about that that.
1: (laughs) but i was very lucky because my son for whatever reason the way he sat my ribs are situated i have very broad big lungs and so most pregnant women the baby starts to suffocate the airflow a little bit Hmm. And that was not the case for me. He hmm. just sat in a way that so I So you sang, could sing
0: through it, basically.
1: I sang the best I've ever sung in my life. No kidding. Because there was no drinking, no late right. nights, no out loud clubs. Right. And so my with was. Was this
0: with the Dave and the mm-hmm. and Dave and Divine? Yeah. yeah. That, so we uh,
1: played that show and then I flew to Arizona and never.
0: Never. Came, no. Went back. That was it. Yeah. yeah. What, um, what is the scene like in Prescott? Like, how would you describe it?
1: To me, and this has been my catalyst for everything I've been working on, um, to me, it is the most undiscovered music city that I've been through in the country. Whoa. Yeah. There is immense musical talent there. Really? The issue, from my perspective, is that everything, I shouldn't say everything, 97% of everything is a three to four hour bar gig. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's part of what makes Prescott such a great music city is most of those entities are free. So you Mm -hmm. can go hear incredible music any night of the week. Mm -hmm. The, the issue that I have with that is that you have these incredibly well-versed musicians who are brilliant at their craft, who have just kind of, because they're making their living that way, which I, again, thoroughly respect they don't have the extra energy to put their own stuff on a, on mm-hmm. display, mm-hmm. and so I've worked. I've been working for years on trying to put focus back on the originality and the creativity of the musicians that are there, mm-hmm. and try to shine a spotlight on. Although you can hit Whiskey Row or you can hit these places and see a great show, you should also pay a charge mm-hmm. and a right. ticket right. and support these musicians and the actual artistry that they put into the world mm-hmm. beyond just the tunes you want to hear on friday night you know
0: would you ever consider like a brick and mortar venue in prescott that that would that would do that
1: absolutely i'm, yeah. I'm my fingers are in a lot of those pots yeah already um yeah. it's just a matter of time fruition investments things uh-huh. like that but it's already in it's happening it's in
0: talks yeah, yeah. how uh, how big is prescott like how many people
1: Forty eight thousand.
0: So it's a pretty small market, but
1: tiny, but the quad cities is like 150,000, right. which is Chino, Dewey, Prescott, Prescott Valley. Right. Um, and then the reality is, is, you know, we're two hours from you or an hour and a say, half from yeah. flag we're f- an hour to Sedona.
0: Right. You know, and, the, and those markets great. are insular in the, in the sense that like, I'm not probably not going to drive to Prescott to see a gig and come, you know, and come home. So. If those markets are isolated enough, far away enough, but you have eight different of those markets, you can do a whole run in Arizona yep. and not conflict or not cannibalize a gig, say in Phoenix, if you're playing Correct. Prescott.
1: Right, and I'm trying to establish with my production company. I'm trying to establish, you know, quote unquote, air quote, sister cities. So mm-hmm. my, I've made a partnership with like the Orpheum and Flagstaff, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. We promote their events; they promote ours um i we try to create a through line if they know they have a musician coming on a run and it's like okay come through and the orpheum come right. head down to prescott head down to phoenix and then tucson and right. create the run so that the state can be advantageous to a touring act and mm-hmm. that's my biggest i tell people this is my soapbox all day long we sit between the 40 and the 10
3: mm-hmm. which
1: are the two major thoroughfares of national touring mm-hmm. like tour buses right. are on the 10 or the 40.
3: Right.
1: however if you can come off the ten to Phoenix and get a run to get up to the forty, you can get yourself three to four more shows in there. Even right. as a major, you know, a list touring act, it's like throw in some acoustic shows while the production right. crew goes ahead. Right. You know, or
0: yeah, fill a Monday as an acoustic duo. That's, and, yeah, right. and then you know. Yeah.
1: yeah. So you played, you know, the the Phoenix sock chin or wherever, but you could come play us or the Pepsi Empty and just do a stripped down. Right. You and a guitar. Yeah. Without band and crew, and meet them in the next city in whatever state. You
0: know? And and was that that interest in uh, passion was that also part of the reason why you started the Pure Imagination Festival? Was it to kind of put some eyeballs on what's happening with original music in the Prescott yes. area?
1: Almost wholeheartedly, actually. Yeah. I, there we laugh. There's a woman, Colette Greenlee, who runs the Elks Theater in Prescott, which is about a, a 500 seat venue, and well, I didn't, my husband and I were on a date night right after I'd had my son. So obviously I hadn't been drinking or doing any of those things. And you and just so got blasted. I a glass of one glass of wine and I was, I was just <laughs> toast and we literally went to see this. This is the first time I saw this theater and it was an Eagles cover tribute band Yeah, who were wonderful. I mean, it was great. I love the Eagles are one of my favorite bands of all times. So I've seen them like four times and I, so DJ surprised me with a day night out. We went to the bar at intermission. I got a glass of wine. We were talking. I'm just stupid, and I turned to Colette and I was like, "You know what I think is ridiculous? This place, this theater is amazing, and this place has all these musicians, and nobody's fucking coming here." And she's like, what? And I was like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build something that makes them all come here. They're all going to come here. And she gives me shit almost yearly because she's like, it was seven years ago now, because yeah. my son's seven, yeah. that she goes, my very first impression of you, <laughs> hammered, telling me how you're going to bring right. national acts to Prescott and a festival and all the things. Yeah. And she goes, God damn it, you God did it. Damn it, you yeah. did it. <laughs> I'm just one of those weird-ass, crazy people. I need a goal. Yeah. I like a goal. Yeah. You know?
0: And how long did it... How how many years or months of planning... Because the, the first one was... Was it two years ago? Or yeah. Was it,
1: this year was our second year. Yeah. I'm already starting... This week, I already started on next year's cool. lineup.
0: And, wink, um, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the...
0: How many years of planning or you so know. Th-
1: what people don't realize and, and I would implore if I could give one piece of sage advice to all people is that when you're a senior in high school, make a business. Whether you pursue it or not, I want you to understand Mm -hmm. because I feel like I've gotten my master's in business now. As Mm -hmm. a creative, I had no idea. So I I took the approach of, I would say, from that time that I got blasted and told Colette I was going to do the thing. I spent the next probably two and a half to three years opening my mouth as big as I could to every person that seemed like they invested in things. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I just started talking loud.
0: I just... So the first step was finding investors. Finding investors.
1: But how do you find investors in a city you've never lived in where people don't think of this city as a music city? It's not an entertainment city the way L.A. is. Right. So you don't just throw a stone and find an investor the way you do. In L.A., somebody's always investing in a project in L.A. Um, And so... Leading, you know, opening my mouth, like, well, and and a key thing that got me where part of my first investor was that because I still sang sessions for Los Angeles and for television and film, somebody had called me, needed some vocals for a spot and a thing. I, I Googled music studio press because I didn't have a home setup.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And there's one music studio in Prescott, and it's called Raven Sound Studio. It's awesome. Dylan runs it, he's the engineer, he's great, great musician, multi instrumentalist, good dude. And I walk in, and I'm singing this session, and I immediately start singing, like, blow his preamps. And he's like, holy shit, she's alive! This is a big singer turns everything down to one and then we take the cut again and then he had said to me he was actually and this is what i mean about things just kind of lining up and being open and creating those relationships he had said to me you know there's there's uh i i had told him i really think this could be a music city i really feel like people would be drawn here i really feel like it has a trajectory of a portland or wherever Mm -hmm. that creates a vibe around atlanta you know there's Mm -hmm. like a thing happening and um he was like oh you should meet you know so and so and this and that and i was like okay i would love to i'll talk to anybody who will listen and months went by and then i think another project came up and i had to go back to that studio and coincidentally the gentleman who became my last investor happened to be hanging out there that day Hmm. and he is the benefactor and owner of that studio which i didn't Ah. realize Mm -hmm. And he and I ended up having a number of things in common, um, just in life stuff. He grew up on a horse farm. I grew up in a horse family right. and ride horses and do all the things. He loves music. Obviously, I love music. He has a home in Venice Beach, California. My uncle, he's a block away. Huh. And so there were all these things that he was just like, oh, wow, okay. And we just talked about life. And he took a liking to me. And then he sent his uh, CEO to have lunch with me.
0: His CEO. Yeah. Of his company. Yeah.
1: He didn't, he didn't have time for that. (laughs) He was like, I met you once in passing. That was good enough for me. I'm going to stick you with my business people. Right. Um, and they were just kind of picking my brain and my vision and all these things. And then COVID happened. Hmm. Hmm. And so immediately what I saw as a need was that all of these career musicians who play bars every night had no income. And let's just be honest, how many of them have great health care or how many of them have, you know, savings and 401ks or anything like that? Because why would you? We're all musicians and we don't have that stuff.
0: Yeah. I think to, to, to just to quickly tack on to your, your idea that every high school should, should, uh, start a, or start a business or at least understand business, like make
1: a business plan, make
0: a business plan, see what it takes. They should. Learn financing, right?
1: Well, uh, yeah. Why anybody takes trigonometry, but nobody takes basic fi- like right. life planning? I right. don't understand. Right? Yeah. I, I, I could overhaul this whole government. We'd be much better off.
0: Duh, but <laughs> you know, it, you know. It, but it's 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 that I don't know. I I I, I don't. There, there's a trope or there's a cliche that musicians are morons with money or or. F- f- Flighty or flaky, or and all they want to do is play guitar, and they you know, and and, and part of that is true, but I think I think uh, you know if if more young people, especially musicians, like okay, well, this is you should set up your four hundred one k now.
1: Learn business. Yeah,
0: learn some business. You're, yeah.
1: Well, and that's the thing I tell every mm. single artist now because I think yeah. to your point, so many artists get those bad labels, like yeah. whether you're in fine art, sculpture, it's just yeah. like oh, these artists, they don't, you know, they're they're lazy or flagrant or they just transient and they right. don't plan anything and they don't right. hold up to anything. And there's a handful of people I know that live up to those stereotypes. Sure. Absolutely. In, but
0: if, it's, it's also everywhere in every industry. In, that's right. my point. Right. But,
1: but I will tell you that the majority of musicians I know are some of the best business people because they've had to be right. Every dollar counts. And if they need that next bit of equipment or if they need a replacement on their guitar or if their amp Mm -hmm. got busted or like every dollar goes to something to allow them to continue to make music.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: so I have met very few lazy musicians. I've met mostly great business people that maybe just haven't had enough guidance on the planning.
0: And and it was school of hard knocks during during COVID, you know, right? Because we all we all fa- or I faced it too, and and I mean, luckily I was in a in a stable living situation, and I did have some savings. But you know, I I have a bunch of friends who didn't, and right. and and so yeah, so terrifying moment <laughs> for right. everybody. And and
1: well, and this is in in Prescott particular. This is a a good section of the backbone of Prescott's culture, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. Every bar is closed. No musicians have work. Right. Um, you know, who's paying their bills, all the things. And so at yeah. that exact moment, I contacted Dylan uh, at the music sound studio. And, and we just talked about our capability. Streaming obviously became this thing that everybody was trying to do. Yep. And this gentleman that uh, had, had been talking with me, he also owns a restaurant in town. And so the restaurant was empty you so had said, space? So I said to Dylan, I was like, <laughs> "It has a small stage in the corner because they do some, you know, live music in the background." And Raven's I said, view? "It's the Raven Cafe." Yeah, Raven. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to Dylan, "Can we get permission to do the Friday feature and have these musicians come in and we'll allow people to tip online?" Mm-hmm. And what was happening is the musicians started making the same hmm. rate that they get for a four-hour show in a forty-five-minute. Friday feature, Love it. And I would join them for the first two songs so it would give people enough time to log in. Mm-hmm. So about seven minutes of it was me singing with whoever came to be featured. Mm-hmm. And then I'd cut them loose for a full set. Mm-hmm. And we had it, you know, professionally miked and, and filmed. And we started racking up 10,000 views in a night or hmm. an hour. And then it, you know, was just... And so the city started to lean into this hmm. thing. And then... Prescott is known as Arizona's Christmas city. It's official. It's the best place. If you've never been go, it's the best place for but it's Christmas. July, but it's go July. And wait. So, yeah. Don't yeah.
3: you'll be waiting. Bring
1: a comfortable chair.
3: Right.
1: Um, but so then Christmas came up and it was looking like for the first time in history, every Christmas event was going to be canceled. Hmm. So I created the Christmas city special and I put together a good old fashioned like warm and fuzzy cheese ball, Christmas city, special and i featured all the musicians around town cool with loving messages and they'd sing christmas songs and christmas that year became online for the hmm. first time mm-hmm. and at that point everybody was like okay
0: this candace lady well it wasn't even about me it was doing?
1: just like what can we get away with next because uh-huh. for us um covid was an opportunity
0: hmm. Hmm. on some level you know if you, yeah. if you found that silver lining
1: right Meaning you know, not health, but meaning right. we we have a lane to keep people functionally working, right? Um, in a safe and capable right. way, right? And so that became we could do everything distanced, we could do everything, and and it was just good luck and good relationships that allowed it to happen. Mm-hmm. And then that parlayed into as the world was opening back up, my first festival was right at the tail end of i mean we were still had a lot of covid practices in place Mm -hmm. and we had a lot of contracts around covid and all of these things and um i approached that same guy and i said how would you feel about giving me (laughs) a pretty decent amount of money to put on a festival and i said i think the community needs it i think prescott needs it i think it's the stepping stone to everything we've talked about Mm -hmm. Um,
0: it's the natural progression of all of this. Yeah, shit we've,
1: we've, we've laid the groundwork yeah. of, of giving Prescott that spotlight. Right. And now now that it's coming back to human connection, we need to manifest it in, a, in an integrative form
3: mm-hmm.
1: outside. And that's how we picked Watson Lake because it was outside and you could still distance if you needed to. And the setting is... Bar none, just gorgeous. I mean, it's dropped it stunningly beautiful, gorgeous.
0: Have they done anything like that in the past at Watson Lake? Have they?
1: Yeah, there's an, there's like one or two other events that happened okay. there that I just don't think have been scaled to the size of which I'm a go big or go home kind of gal. Yeah, um, and I think you know. Uh, I, but this is what I mean about business. I, I can't just go, I want to do this and snap, there's the money. It's It was business plans and lawyers and huh, yeah. profit and losses and highs and lows and what could be expected and mm-hmm. trying to figure out security and how do you maintain it and how do you operate your city municipalities? What's your infrastructure like? What's your bathrooms like? What are your right. police situations like? How do you deal with pushback? What are you going to do if violent things happen? How do you get a helicopter into the field if somebody passes out? Right. Like I mean, you're things dealing with...
0: yeah every layer
1: at at, to the nth degree
0: did you reach out to any other local promoters for like can I pick your brain like McDowell Mountain Music Festival or or and some some of the other festival or promoters for
1: no um not because I'm opposed to that or because I did but there wasn't really one accessible to me that I could find somebody that would trust me with their Mm. why would they give me all their secrets Uh to build a possibly competitive festival like that wasn't yeah. something that was totally like oh you know who wants to tell you how to do this everybody else who does this right it's not really a th- thing however where my past had caught up to somebody my, a dear friend of mine a great songwriter Johan and we were together earlier this morning and he was like isn't it funny that you're living in your imagination's past did I say I that right mean, yeah. he's like or you're your past selves imagination of the future uh-huh he was like who you were seven years ago dreaming about this you're now living in this dreaming about whatever the next thing is Uh huh. Uh-huh. i'm sure i fucked that up but he was <laughs> like you are now living." but all that to be said so what i did do is i looked back at my book of relationships mm. from christina on oh yeah and i was like who knows about this right who knows about at least parts of this. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to my old entertainment lawyer for my old band who coincidentally was, is, was, is still, I don't know, in negotiations on a really big festival somewhere else, some other state.
3: Mm -hmm. And he was Mm. like,
1: well, here's what I can tell you about, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then another friend of mine, our agent at the time had a friend who was a talent buyer for other festivals in New Mexico. And she was like, well, you can go pick her brain. Mm -hmm. I ended up hiring her. Her name's Ali Shaw. She's great. And she's our, She and I, but she's my liaison for the talent buying. So she goes out and deals with every agent and every label and everything else. We sit down, we, Pick all our lineups. We have to create seven, eight, nine, ten lineups because they change constantly mm-hmm, between mm-hmm. money and availability. Mm-hmm. But so then I started bringing her in because I brought Allie in. Allie was like, "I can get you to our production head who works on a you know the Sunset Festival and a bunch of other things here in L.A. and we could pick his brain and da, da da da." Which then led me back to the biggest sound company in Prescott, and then I was able to collaborate with the two because I needed two stages mm. and I needed to be able to source them locally and not from L.A. because of cost.
3: Right. You know, so wow.
1: everything just becomes one box of questions opens former boxes right which add to former boxes of questions which open 10 boxes which you know and then you're just trying to check off the hierarchy down the list yeah and then you have to mix put the mix in once you get all the entertainment side together you have to deal with the city and that is an entirely different book of (laughs) worms um Jesus. So you, it takes some tenacity. It yeah. definitely takes a, a core of confidence. Like yeah. I I would imagine there are many people who could have done it far better than me. And I would imagine there are many people who would have crumbled 10 times over. Mm-hmm. It's it's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. You have to really believe it's important enough to pursue. Because mm-hmm. they make it hard.
0: Well, <laughs> I can't wait to... to... At least go and check it out. I w- Dawes is one of my favorite bands, and I was really bummed when I couldn't. I couldn't go. Yeah. But I've only heard great things, and and psyched. well, you'll,
1: you'll know next year. You can announce I that. It. I can. You can say that.
0: Well, that my band is playing at the Pure Imagination 24. Festival. Come yeah. on, that's sucking
1: it'll be it'll be great that's what i'm saying i can't tell you the other people who are there right now but you can tell your audience that you're gonna be there i love it i can't wait but you'll be real excited you'll be like oh really yeah yeah yeah, you'll be real excited (laughs) because i'm i'm real excited for you
0: to be real excited (laughs) um let's um let's take just a short break but i want to talk about Ponderosa Grove, and then um but yeah we'll just take a quick break do it Let's talk about Ponderosa Grove.
1: Oh, let's do that.
0: When did you put the band together? COVID. Great.
1: Well and, and how well and how it came about was that um, what i was explaining before with the friday feature there Mm -hmm. were so many musicians out of work and then a dear friend of mine especially now but drew hall is somebody in our community that is a play every night of the week guy he's Mm -hmm. in every band of everybody's band he's the best guitarist best guitar teacher he has 70 students a week like Mm -hmm. the guy is the guitar guy guy of prescott yeah and so um i had some song ideas and he and i both i think it was just to create normalcy. It just Mm -hmm. was like, okay, there's only two of us. We can dis, we can be outside within six feet and do all the fucking things Mm -hmm. and still write songs. And so I think we both just were like, can we get together like twice a week and just write so that it feels like we're doing something with Mm -hmm. music. And we wrote the majority of this record. And then another friend of ours who was on that first record, Johan Glidden, it was kind of the same thing. And we started doing the three of us, um, like benefit outdoor stuff. So, you know, environments would have like, okay, in our parking lot, we'll create 10-foot squares right. and put a chair in a square and mm-hmm. you guys will be way up there on the thing and everybody's away, but we'll make it feel like we're watching something. Mm-hmm. And so we started playing some gigs, quote-unquote gigs, um, that were kind of like donation-based or it went to charity or it went to COVID relief, but it was more of just the like feel like we're doing something normal Mm -hmm. and so we wrote a record's worth of songs and then it was kind of like this thing of like well we should record these right
0: Mm -hmm. right yeah right natural progression totally fine and
1: then you know very quickly after that we started doing stuff and we and the world's kind of open suit open we did the louisiana um, music prize competition and we won and then what is that in louisiana you should look into But it's, um, but it's, it's in Louisiana. It's there. It's a big thing there that they've built. They have the music prize, they have the chef prize, and they have the filmmaker. It's like a a long, uh, series of competitions that are a festival of sorts. And so um, It's like
0: the South by of Louisiana. Yes, kind Yes, of. exactly. And mm-hmm. it's been
1: around, I want to say like 10 years now, but it's grown bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I just submitted us to play and we got selected out of however many thousand submitted. And mm. then we got into the top 100 and something. And then I went to an online vote and we got into the top 10 and then the top 10 bands are invited to compete.
0: And this is during COVID as well?
1: It was, this was 2021. 20, oh so, yeah, so yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Wow.
1: They put it in in a warehouse where they opened all the doors and mm. they had things and air and everybody and all the stuff. Right, and everybody had to show negative test uh-huh. results and all yeah. the things. So it was still yeah, it was still COVID. And so I we we Drew and I were like we should probably have a name for this project. And so I was like, well, it's. Of our area, and and Prescott has the largest ponderosa pine population in the state and in the country. Mm-hmm. So I liked the idea of using the ponderosas as a, and then the grove, I was like, well, the grove is nice because if people come and go or if it changes, who cares?
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was all
1: very lackadaisical. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we named it Ponderosa Grove. We put out the record. Johan was with us for a number. And then Johan's like, I'm going to go off and pursue some solo dreams and things. And we were like, good luck to you. Love you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Thanks for playing. And then we had brought in a dear friend of mine, Joshua Taylor, yeah. who's incredible. And we've been recording and putting out stuff there. And so it's kind of been, it's allowed us to have a little bit of a swinging door mm-hmm. and invite people in to collaborate and mm-hmm. do all kinds of things. Um, but I would say Drew and I are at the, the primal heartbeat of it. Our, dr- our drummer, Gigi is also very in, he's in, And Gigi was Mariah Carey's drummer for 15 Hmm. years, so, like, he doesn't suck. Hmm. And
0: (laughs) No, he certainly doesn't. Yeah,
1: he's awesome. And so, and then, you know, Kazi, our bass player, is from Prescott, and Zach, our keyboard player, is Prescott. And so it just kind of has gotten more and more and more direct into a a functional project. And then we got offered the opportunity to open for Tedeschi Trucks on a number of dates around the country. And we went as an acoustic trio, just myself, Drew, and Josh – that was exceptional. And then we got to open for Sheila E. And then we were on a run with a band called the Talbot Brothers. And just month by month, year by year, it's just gotten more and more. Actually, it's mm-hmm. a band. It's a band, mm-hmm. now, you know, so. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was fun. But that's how it started.
0: And we we just listened to Save My Soul, um, which is, it sounds great. And you cut it in Prescott. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Raven Sound Studio. Yeah. Um, with Dylan Ludwig and, um, it was great. You know, I mean, we, to boil it down, we are a COVID band. We are a a group of bandits that just didn't want to be completely lost because Mm. of a pandemic right? (laughs) and needed, needed functionally a reason to, to do something with ourselves that felt normal.
0: And, and your role in the band is, is not just, you know, one of the primary songwriters, but also kind of the manager and the tour and the booking agent and the Yeah, that's kind of by the, default. Right. I
1: mean, yeah. Uh, I think it just comes from a, a background and a knowledge and a, a slight maybe advantage of know-how. And also, I'm just that type of person. Mm-hmm. Like I've said to the guys many times, I'm like, by all means, step up and take over. Yeah. Like I would love it. It'd be fine with me. right But I'm just one of those um, energizer kind of people Mm -hmm. like if i'm not stirring enough wheels then what am i good for
0: Mm. would you ever if you had the opportunity to say do a two-month tour would you still entertain that would would, all day long yeah
1: i mean that's still the goal for us you know i mean i would love to be opening for whomever and on a on a solid run and i my goal with music is always i would love to see the world I always say, I want to see the world either on the back of a horse or playing music. Mm-hmm. And I've been very fortunate in my life. I've traveled a lot and I've ridden horses in a number of countries and I've played music in a number of countries. And that's kind of the, we talked about this when I first sat down, it's just, it's like, I can't, pro- everybody has their own faith, belief, belief, and I'm here for it, but I can't tell you what happens when we disintegrate, but I can tell you that while I'm in this skin, I'm going to make it as interesting as I possibly can.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you ever uh, ridden a horse on stage? <laughs> Such a great co- question. You know, combined all of the things.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, I have not on a performance <laughs> stage, but I've been in the Rose Parade. Does that hey, count?
0: Yes. That counts. That totally counts. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, how has the, how has the industry, in your mind, changed the most? In what area? And... What is your kind of solution to fix it? Or is there a solution to fix it?
1: Oh, fuck. I, Brian, it's the Wild West to me. I mean, right. that's kind of...
0: That's what it feels. It just feels like everyone... We're still... Shit was, you know, very uh, organized and, and gatekeepers. And and now it's just kind of like, well, good luck. It's like you're blind and you're trying to find your way through a dark room. It's like, well, yeah, who knows what the fucking thing is.
1: Yeah, my answer to the music industry has been just create it,
0: mm-hmm. right. create,
1: create, and I don't mean music, create industry. Like right. it's it, okay. If, right. if you don't know where to play, find a place to play. Right. If that doesn't work, find a different place to play. And, and then you don't have a music. If I make a music festival, you don't right. have a, go make it. Right. Um, that's been my natural knee jerk answer. Cause you can spend a lot of time waiting for somebody else to figure it out for you and it won't happen. Um, that being said, you know, I know there's still major labels. I know there's subsidiaries. I know there's Indies. I know people get on them.
0: Right. How
1: how that actually happens. I don't know. Is it even
0: beneficial? And is it
1: even beneficial? That's the thing. When you can do it yourself. 360 deals and all these things. Um, you know, that's just the constant conundrum of like, what is actually more advantageous to your life plan And I just, I put my brain around the one foot in front of the other, see where it leads, go down every path with as much knowledge or at least figure out who to ask Mm -hmm. and then decide if it's for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally am still very open to a label scenario, not because it's better but because it's a big fucking credit card that I don't have. Right. So, and that's all it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, any label deal is somebody's putting it on a line of credit except the record label can take a loss on their taxes and nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Um, Provided you have also a great entertainment lawyer who's not putting you in a deal that's going to get you on a shelf and tied up for seven years i've already done that game
3: mm-hmm. i'll tell
1: you all about that from my previous life um but you know so for me i'm still open to that lane because you get a promotional push that is very hard to achieve on your own mm-hmm. right however if you are just waiting for that to happen you're just wasting your time you might as well be building labels want to sign the thing that's already doing Working. the thing right that's right. how it works. So at that point you go, do I even need this? Right. You know, it's, it's blah, blah, blah. right.
3: right. Yep. There's
1: no right answer. That's the, that's the hard thing about an artistic endeavor is that for as many times and to your point, there used to be a, at least a window to a path that seemed like if you do this and you do this, and yep. if you go meet this, this person and, and, this and, do and, this like, right. and knock mm-hmm. on the door mm-hmm. and they're going to give you hoops to jump through. And if you're willing to jump through and you hit on just the right thing, maybe you get that thing and you gain enough power to get your own voice.
0: Right. But, but now then, it's not. I don't know. It's but different. then the whole thing, like you know, your story about uh, you know releasing this record, and then like no one's doing that, and then the next year someone does that. Right. It it's like who?
1: Why? Why are you the gatekeeper? Yeah. Why? What do
0: you know? Well, like, and
1: let <laughs> me tell you, ninety percent of the gatekeepers I know, I'm like, why the fuck are you here? You don't even right. you don't even get music. Like right. you just you're regurgitating. I I have seen more people perfect example oh alicia keys is working find 10 more alicia keys right. and right. you're like but the reason she worked is because she's the only one right because she kid, was unique and she, she, she was does unique. something
0: super cool she came and no one out else was when she
1: was not britney spears and right. not christina right so it worked right but to duplicate her makes no sense
0: yeah yeah it's you know. like the cookie cutter let's get yeah exactly it's like what you guys don't understand a fucking thing yeah. but you know, at least at least now there is a sense that you can craft a way around it. You know, as you say, you you build whatever you need, you build. Yeah. And um, but but it is also funny that, you know, these major labels or I would say any label, is looking for a band that already has their shit together. It doesn't like, need them. The concept right. of, of artist development doesn't exist anymore. Develop yourself on your dime. Yep. And once you have figured it out.
1: And we can just capitalize on you and make right. money and take it out of your pocket because right. we will give you the promotional push you can't totally give yourself. Right. And put you on bills with people you can't totally put. Yeah. And as somebody who's been on a, a handful of major agencies, I will tell you, you're still never going to get the same bill that somebody on the same label will get.
3: Right. You know? Yeah. yeah.
1: It's just the way, it's just, I mean, because it's advantageous to the business of the label. But to your point, I mean, you're doing the same thing. You have multiple projects that give you a, a landscape that's full. Mm -hmm. So you can go in certain cities and demographics and do live from Laurel Canyon. Mm -hmm. You can do certain things that are Brian Chartrand in the project. You can do certain, you know, and it allows you to have this well-versed varietal career Hmm. and keep your own momentum going
3: by building it. I mean,
1: that's what that is. And it works in that regard because, people still want to see you, but now you've given them multiple lanes in which they can. I've done similarly with just from a development standpoint of an event or events, Mm -hmm. you know, so, Mm -hmm. but I perform in all of them, Right. (laughs) you know, if I'm going to work that hard, I'm like, well, my band will play at the festival. And then I have a a series called forbidden garden, which is this like vaudevillian show that I've produced and and grown that has aerialists and, and ballroom dancers and live music. And it's like vaudeville and some burlesque performers, and it sells out every time and it's wonderful, but cool. I get to sing there too. And that's uh-huh. great, you know, because right. I want to be able to sing some fabulous Broadway smasher, you know, right. so I do it there.
0: Right. I, no, I think that that's, that's a big kind of lesson too, that I wish I had 30 years ago. You know, everyone has an idea of how their career is going to go. And the reality is if you want to be a, a working musician, you really need to diversify your portfolio diversify what you do so if at any time there's a lull in any of these projects you're not out you know totally you can still be creative if one band goes on the road for a week here you can take the other project out for a week there and then you know you do that 10 times 12 times in a year and you're now we're talking about something right. you know. and you, it's it's uh it's, uh, job security. You know, again, if, if one band breaks up and they inevitably do, you have other things that you can keep working and right. keep developing and start a new thing. And, and, you know, just as a kid thinking, no, I'm going to be on the big stage and I'm going to, you know, first call singer or whatever. I'm going to write the best tunes. Like, that's great. If you can do that, totally awesome. But Well, and
1: that should always be the goal, right? Right. Cause that's actually the dream is the thing that keeps you pushing. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of learning how to have a broader tool bag, right? Because right. that is the heartbeat of all of it. And, and to that same point, like I'm looking at this, you know, live from Laurel Canyon poster, every single artist that's being situated are my favorite, my mm-hmm. absolute favorite.
0: You have to see the show. I think you'd I really would
1: dig love it. to see the show. Yeah. But the, but the point is that I would imagine, I can't speak for you, that you love this just as because that same thing, you're on yeah. a stage, you're singing great songs, you're doing the thing that is the heartbeat of the dream, mm-hmm. but in just a slightly different
0: lens. Right. Well, without these people, there wouldn't be me, you know, so it's, it's my way of celebrating the things that influenced me and I love it. And you know, I, I get asked a lot like, yeah, but it's like a cover gig, bro. Right. You know, and I'm like, you have no idea. I love this. I could do this 365 nights a year and would never get tired of it. A, because the band is killing and we, we take it in different directions every night. No night is the same. Right. And I got love this shit. I'll yeah. sing it
1: like that. My, my buddy, Curtis Peoples, who's in Los Angeles, he and I, um, uh, he created a night called Coffee Shop Arena Rock. And it's basically some 70s, but mostly 80s and 90s, maybe a handful of early 2000s. Same general idea, but you, brilliant singer-songwriters, brilliant performers, brilliant artists in their own right, but mm. singing the music... Mm-hmm. At the hotel cafe of like, for example, I've covered Aerosmith mm-hmm. and I've sung "Got only whatever, you know, large rock and roll song I always get. He was puts this on me. He's just like, <sighs> that's your lane. You sing rocker. Yeah. Like, you know, journey, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But it, it, opposed the, although these are my deepest and biggest influences, it's the same. And I love that night. Mm-hmm. I love that night. Mm-hmm. I go into L.A. for it. I'm the next one is July 26, I'm there mm. I'm doing some big fucking songs again because that's <laughs> let's just keep it interesting. But it's so much fun and it mm-hmm. changes every time we do it. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing. And we're honoring people who cut some cloth before us. Right. And it's great. And yeah. it, that's but it's just using your ingenuity and, and saying, like, I'm flexible. Mm -hmm. And I'm capable of more than one singular thing.
3: Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm.
1: important. That's part of your artistry too. Mm -hmm. And I think the more you're playing these songs, the more you're, subconsciously also influencing your own writing with beautiful melodies. Well, and right. You start to internalize
0: and, a lot of this stuff right. and that, that's a good, that, that's a good framework, it's a really good foundation, know, it's a good, nice foundation <laughs> to come at it,
1: which is so sad to me because I, you know, it's only a matter of a handful of years till none of these people walk the earth anymore, uh, yeah. which is just the craziest thing to me. Yeah. I'm like the best generation of music is starting to leave us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you wake up this morning ready to take on your day? Or did you find yourself hitting the snooze button a couple of times? A restful night's sleep can help you get back in the swing of things. And Selentium's proprietary blend of ingredients helps you sleep better, snore less, wake rested, and enjoy your day. Selentium Plus, available on our website, www.selentiumplus.com. That's www.selentiumplus.com. E-N-T-I-U-M-P-L-U-S dot com And here's a special offer just for our podcast listeners Silentium is offering a buy one, get one half off Just use the promo code Brian when you're checking out Silentium Sleep better, snore less Wake rested What's, um, what's next for you? I mean, you're, you're already working on, on next year's Pure Imagination Festival. Ponderosa Grove is out doing some shows. We're still 40. booking some stuff this year and yep. next year. And Been
1: recording. We're, we're really just working on finishing our records so that we yeah. have a follow-up. Um, and, and slightly more focused, you know, hmm. because the first one was so, like, we just put all these songs together and we just grew, grabbed all our friends. You know, now I think our next record, we, we feel more pressure with it because it's actually, like welcome to ponder like here's mm-hmm. here's the vibe now mm-hmm. we've landed um so we're working on that doing some more shows uh by certainly the festival i also i run a couple other events i have the prescott night market so if that's four times a year i have forbidden garden experience which is four times a year so i in in essence run eight to ten events a year while touring and writing mm. and recording and i'm I'm very very fortunate and lucky i still sing um this comes back to earlier in our conversation on the relationships. When I lived in LA on Monday nights I used to sing live at the Sofatel, um which was Monday jazz night. And I'd go in and sit in and sing there with a number of greats I mean, Donald is now, you know, Lady Gaga's drummer and Ryan Cross is producing things and all the all the stuff. But just from being there on Mondays and hanging out with people and Mm. just doing the vibe, you know, I recently sang I was I voiced Janis Joplin for a movie called Jesus Revolution. Hmm. And so I do a lot of TV and film sync and stuff like that for voiceover work. So I still do that stuff, too. So when I, when I, <laughs> I'm like, what are my finances doing? Right. Um, then I can, you know, fortunately have a, <laughs> an additional gig where I'm utilizing my voice for other. So I make most of my living just through my voice yeah. pretty much. Isn't
0: you know? that awesome though? It's great. Super cool. That's
1: what I mean. You know, it's yeah. great. So, so, you know, left turns, right turns, it doesn't really matter that that's to your question. It's like, so what? I mean, the, the music industry is in a weird fish tank right now Mm -hmm. everybody's swimming all the directions with nowhere to land right and um you know somehow a select few still get picked up and pushed and those things happen but at the same time i I don't know the path has kind of unfolded unfolded into a more interesting way than i would have ever
0: thought and i and i think that you know the 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 og gatekeepers without them the you know and and let's open up the playing field but it really then comes down to the artist who is tenacious the artist who is driven is going to still get the farthest you know yeah and that's kind of cool because it wasn't necessarily that, that way before. before no you well know? the
1: independent music scene was like so unsupported before mm-hmm. because it was like oh you're cute you're not a major you're you know right. it's like look at you trying to get to there right specifically where now i think the independent artistry has so much credibility because there are so many people that have done it on a level and even if they ultimately end up crossing over and creating partnerships chance the rapper you know mixtapes Jay-Z he he did just fine you know I mean they they end up being smart at business and utilizing that growth from their own two feet to create much better scenarios for themselves but it has definitely I mean listen even Beyonce went off her label and was like I mean I'm billions of fans so it's not hard right but she definitely figured out you know with Jay-Z's advice at some point she was like I don't need this like I can just make the art I want to make
0: right on my terms, and people will find it uh, right, right. Because yeah.
1: I'm fucking Beyonce, but you know yeah. what I mean. That reminds, the truth is for us too,
0: right? The, the the one of my favorite kind of stories along those lines is is the Radiohead situation that oh. they fulfill their seven or eight record uh, contract, right. and then release in rainbows mm-hmm. for donation and make more.
1: Honestly, my favorite record. No shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think I'm. I a, mean,
1: I like Kid. A. I like all the records. Yeah, me too. I'm a, too. Fan, I'm a uh, huge Radiohead fan. Yeah. But in rainbows for me, yeah. I don't know. It just did the fucking thing. Like they felt untethered.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I think, yeah. But, you know, and then, <laughs> and, then, and they make more money donation-based than they did, you know, for, for on their greatest record or whatever. So it's just like, but it's the same situation. They had legions of fans all over the world. So they could have put out a record of, of water dripping and, and I would have bought it, you know.
1: Right. But all that to be said, I know for a fact that you know this, that- I have people that, you know, fans that applaud on Facebook or Instagram or wherever from Virginia Mm -hmm. or from Nashville or from, they're not in Arizona. They're not in California. Like we get places, you know what I mean? Just because of technology and because it hasn't become such a weird thing anymore. Most people I think expect artists most likely to be independent most of the time. I mean, if you're in that handful of, you are a Beyonce, Adele, Billie Eilish, Taylor Swift, Marcus Mumford, mm. and now Brandi Carlyle. Right. like there's your like right. top six, you know, right. or whatever. Right. If you're not in that list, which if you're walking up to somebody, introducing yourself, you're not in that list. So I think the audience has also now been conditioned and young people have been conditioned to find their music in other ways. It's not being solely the discretion of radio Or MTV, which doesn't even exist anymore. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's anybody's game now.
0: Right. It's exciting. Yeah. You know, and terrifying.
1: Well, but you know, if, listen, we'd all be accountants if we wanted stability. That's true. We would. We have that choice. Right. (laughs) You know, like any one of us can go back to whatever trade school or do, but we've all spent our 10 to 20 to 30 years learning this. Right. So this is what we do and we do it really fucking well.
0: Yeah. And it's Okay amen to that you you more so than than me but uh really appreciate you and coming all the way down from prescott and and loved making music with you and sharing the stage and looking forward to other opportunities to do that i'm a sucker for for three-part harmony and and your band is incredible and and the songs are good like come on like that's right back kind, of, you, that's kind of like a, a dangerous combination of I think of
1: my whole band fangirls over you now. Like, I mean, <laughs> I do, I think there's like a, or fanboys. I guess I'm the only girl in my band. So, but I, I, there, there was an instant, um, kindred, everybody in my band's like, Oh, Brian, I was like, pull yourself together, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> he's incredible. We know this act like a grown ass human being.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, so
3: well,
0: likewise, we were uh, all very mutual. impressed.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> Excited uh, <clears throat> excited for some future collaboration. thanks again for your time and best of luck with Po.: I'm Mr. so Grover. excited
1: you invited
2: me. Yeah. why I was like, any time let's do this. It's a great hang. So slow